Welcome to Politics and Psychology. I'm Dr. Renee Carr, and please introduce yourself in the chat or on social media. Today, we're talking about fetishes, preferences, and pleasures. And for this to not be a one-sided or a one-time conversation, then please also give your thoughts or questions in the comment section below. Now, in June in our country, America, it has become the month in which non-heterosexuals, such as homosexuals and lesbians, celebrate having fetishes, preferences, and other sexual pleasures. And today what we're going to do is explore how these behaviors are formed and what causes them, of course, using the scientific understanding of it. Now, fetishes is a psychosexual, meaning it's psychological as well as sexual. It's a psychosexual disorder where a person has a sexual desire and achieves sexual pleasure by using physical objects. And they prefer often having sexual activities with these objects over sex with humans. And when a person with a fetish does have sex with a human and they do not have this fetish with them, this fetish object, then they often will have difficulty achieving arousal, such as an erection, or even in achieving orgasm. And if you're thinking about, well, what is a fetish? Fetish actually refers to the physical object or an inanimate object to which they have an unusual or an abnormal sexual attraction or sexual association. So whenever we say someone has a fetish, it's an unusual sexual attraction and sexual behavior with an object. And these objects are anything as long as it's a non-living object. This can be high heel shoes, dirty socks, rubber materials or rubber items, leather, you might've seen that a lot, scratchy surfaces such as sandpaper. It could even be snow, like when it's wintertime. And this is especially when there's fresh snow or large amounts of white snow. It could even be sunlight when you have very bright sun rays coming through the windows. It could be food or beverages of any kind, hair, known as a hair fetish, or it could be a body part such as feet. And feet, by the way, are the most common fetish for heterosexual men. And when a woman wears heels, one reason why high heels are so sexually attractive to other men and why women feel sexy in them is because it does elongate your legs and make you look thinner and more shapely. But primarily the fetish is because it shows you more of the woman's foot. So when a man has a foot fetish, he will often buy his sexual partner high heel shoes, unless he's just masturbating to the shoes. But if he has a female, he would want to see her in high heel shoes often and usually ones that are bare. So whenever you see strippers or strip clubs, that's one reason why there's the clear shoes because they're elevated. Their shoe is showing more of their foot but it's clear, so there's no type of shoe material or fabric blocking the vision of the shoes, I mean, of the feet. So again, it can be any object of any kind, and it's also a specific way of interacting with a specific object. So for example, a heterosexual male wearing his female partner's underwear might be a fetish for him, or it could be pleasure from the smell and feel of leather combined with always having to wear leather during sex. So if you ever see a lot of these bondage commercials or when you go into the sex stores, a lot of leather is sold 
is because for whatever reason, leather is often associated also, of course, with whips and bondage, but it's the fetish of the leather itself combined with the behavior of wearing it only when you're having sex. A person might also have a food fetish and they might have a desire to have the food smeared all over their body. They also might have a fetish for seeing food that resembles genitalia. For example, a penis might be a food fetish of a banana or an eggplant, or if it's a vagina, it might be a papaya or an inside of an apple, like the apple core. So it's a food that might be resembled with a sexual activity or a genital. It could also just be hearing someone eating food, which is often the cause for the attractions to the ASMR. Um, or when a person has a specific memory or a fantasy about food or a food item, for example, honey, chocolate syrup, whipped cream, but it's not like you're just experimenting and just having a um, upgraded date night. This is more where you have a very intense sexual attraction and you can only perform or you can only become aroused when you have these particular items. And just to clarify, the fetish object must be an object that was created specifically for non-sexual purposes. So if you have a vibrator, which is an object, or the rose, which is for the clitoral stimulation, those are also objects, but those objects were created specifically for sexual activity. So whenever you have an object that's a fetish object, it was not created or designed in any way for sexual pleasure. Now, when you look at fetishes, the interactions can just be looking at the objects. It can be holding, rubbing, or smelling the objects, or it can be actually using the objects during intercourse or requiring your sexual partner to wear or use the fetish object during your sexual encounters. And if there is no sexual partner, then the person with the fetish may taste hold, insert, or smell the fetish object while masturbating. So how are fetishes created or what causes them? So to understand abnormal behavior, we look at the etiology of that behavior. Etiology means the cause or a combination of causes for a condition or a disease. So in scholarly study and scientific examination, obviously we're using science, then the etiology of a fetish is often from behavioral conditioning. So behavioral conditioning means that during a sexual experience, when a stimulus such as the fetish object is paired with sexual thoughts or sexual behavior, and that person experiences the reward of sexual pleasure, then it's this sexual experience that was either his first or her first sexual experience, or it was the most intense sexual experience. It was that emotional and physical and pleasure response with this object. The pairing of those is what causes the conditioning. So when you think about behavioral conditioning, think about the Pavlov's experience. If you had like psych 101 when you were younger or just heard about it on social media. So Pavlov's theory is a very famous behavioral conditioning experiment and theory where it showed that you can condition a dog's behavior to respond to a bell as if it were food. And so what Pavlov did was he continually exposed a ringing of a bell 
with the exposure or introduction of food to dogs so that eventually the bell was rung so often and associated with the pleasure response of eating and enjoying the food that just hearing the bell would cause the dogs to salivate. So let's transfer that to fetishes. Just the seeing of an object, although it is unnatural for it to invoke sexual arousal or pleasure, when you have a sexual conditioning known as the fetish, then it's because that object was associated with a pleasurable behavioral experience and a pleasurable physical reward. So that's the basis of how fetishes are caused. And the reason we know about fetishes is because they are diagnosed as a sexual disorder, and it can range from mild to severe, depending on the level of intensity or the level of abnormality of the fetish and the fetish behavior. So when a person with a fetish also has very high levels of stress or high levels of dysfunction in their social life, their occupation, or their professional life, or in any other important area of their functioning because of this fetish, then that's what makes it a disorder. And that means that there's an intense focus, a preoccupation with the object, which is their fetish, and it's so intense that it causes the disruption and dysfunction in at least one other major area of your life. So again, just experimenting with something and enjoying it even if it is abnormal sexual behavior, that's different from an actual fetish in which you only can achieve arousal or pleasure with this object, so much so that even humans cannot replace that level of sexual satisfaction for you. So having the fetish in this scenario would be diagnosed as fetishism rather than a actual diagnosis. So if you have just a interest, but it doesn't cause any dysfunction in your life with this fetish, then that would be considered having a fetish or fetishism. But if it's an actual disorder that's causing dysfunction and disruption in your life, that's when it becomes a clinical condition and it will be considered a fetishistic disorder. But in all instances, just understand that having a fetish is medically and psychologically recognized as non-normative sexual behavior. And with normative sexual behavior, then how we're defining non-normative is normal is considered the romantic and sexual behavior between a male and a female human with vaginal and penile intercourse and without the addition of objects or additional partners. So anything outside of that will be considered non-normative human sexual behavior. So the primary difference between a fetish and a sexual preference is that a fetish is always abnormal or non-normative, whereas a sexual preference may or may not be abnormal. And a fetish is a must-have, meaning that it's a preference that I must have in order to, again, achieve arousal or pleasure, Whereas a sexual preference is what you like, but you don't have to have it or you don't need to have it to become aroused or even to enjoy sexual intercourse with or without orgasm. So with pleasure, like the fetishes, you can have a lower level or you can have a higher level. And with lower levels of sexual preferences, the sexual behaviors are still normative. 
So this might be you preferring to be in one sexual position versus another, or you might be sexually aroused by one body type more than another, or you might prefer to be kissed, licked, or touched in a certain way or on a certain area on your body, or you just might have an, any other type of sexual preference with the emphasis being on preference, meaning that you enjoy it and that you like it, but unlike a fetish, it's not a requirement. And as the level of sexual preference becomes higher or more specific, then you also have the higher likelihood of the preference being caused by sexual abuse or trauma, a higher preference that that preference will lead to the victimization of others. It will be the higher the level of power, domination, and submission you might also be interested in. You will have a higher level of physical pain to achieve pleasure, and you might also have a higher level of abnormality or a higher degree of non-normative sexual behavior. So again, as the level of sexual preference becomes higher, not just typical experimenting or lighter preferences, but if the sexual preference becomes higher and more intense and more specific, you're also likely to see a higher level of sexual trauma, victimization, um, submission and domination preferences, physical pain, and even higher levels of abnormality. Now, when we look at non-normative sexual preference, there is often a link to childhood sexual abuse or trauma. In heterosexuals, the abnormal sexual preference might manifest as that child growing up and having a preoccupation with pornography and not really sure why. Or he or she might have a high level of sexuality or become promiscuous and having a preference for multiple partners or just random partners. The preference might also be for men who are significantly older or women who are significantly older or with partners who have any physical characteristics that resemble their childhood abuser. Also, if the person was raped as an adolescent or a young adult or even older, then having a sexual preference for rough or violent sex is often because of their sexual trauma. In homosexuality, meaning gay men or lesbians, there is also a strong connection with childhood sexual abuse or trauma and that being the cause of their subsequent preference for the same sex. As adolescents or adults, their same-sex preference is often a coping mechanism to avoid the genitalia associated with their sexual abuser. So for example, if a young girl was raped by a man and she was not given timely professional help or appropriate or a helpful intervention, then her way of coping when she gets older is to avoid any type of interaction with penises because that would be a trigger for her trauma. It's the same thing if you have PTSD when you are a combat veteran. Sometimes just hearing loud noises or just seeing blood can cause a severe traumatic reaction. So then whether it's a PTSD victim from combat trauma or a sexual trauma victim, especially in childhood, a trauma trigger will cause any object to be associated with that trauma and you will do all that you can to avoid it. That's called avoidance behaviors to avoid reminders or intrusive thoughts of that trauma or any type of memory that you're trying to ignore. And for childhood victims, 
when the male was the abuser or the attacker, then the penis could be that object for which they are traumatized by. And to overcome that is to just not have any association with it. So then the female may then think that she is more attracted to females, but what she's really trying to do is just avoid the reminder of the penis being a traumatic object for her. You may also have a young boy who was raped by another male. And in his subconscious way of making the trauma make sense, then what he would do is then unknowingly turn the trauma into a sexual preference. When you think about trauma, especially childhood sexual trauma, children don't understand how to make sense of sexuality nor of being sexually attacked because it's making them experience a physical trauma that they have no consciousness or no understanding of it intellectually. And so when it happens to their body and it's such a painful experience, they may have an out-of-body experience. They may resort to multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder. They may completely block out those memories altogether or Another way, a lighter way of coping with it is to just ignore natural male-female sexual interactions and to choose a path of least resistance by going with the same sex gender that was not intrusive or by your mind saying, okay, well, in order for this to make sense, let's either become very promiscuous so we can have power over what happened to us and therefore make it okay and therefore we won't have psychological or mental health breakdowns, or we can just say this is what our sexual preference is. And in that way, it makes it easier to accept and easier to not have a psychological crisis or conflict in your identity. However, you can also have a sexual preference for the same sex that is not caused by trauma. Same sex attractions can also be caused by sexual arousal disorders or complications, For example, a low sexual desire disorder means what it is, low sexual desire. A female can have vaginismus, meaning her vagina will not open or expand to be able to receive the penis. Or you can have retarded ejaculation, meaning that the male can sustain an erection for a very long time without having the release of an orgasm. And so people might think, okay, well, then I must be attracted if I'm having retarded ejaculation. I don't know what the cause of it is. All I know is that I can never have an orgasm when I'm having sex with a female. Then maybe it's because I'm not attracted to females. If a female has a low sexual desire, then she may feel like, okay, well then maybe I just don't like men and I need to just have uh, sex with females. So therefore I'm attracted to the same sex. Or a female can also have vaginismus, which is the um, vagina because of trauma or anxiety, not being able to open wide enough for even a pencil or a tampon to get through, much less a, a penis. And so she might think, okay, well, if I'm having oral sex with a female that's less invasive and I enjoy it, I can achieve pleasure, I don't have the anxiety, then maybe it's because I am same sex attracted. When in actuality, is the medical and psychological disorder of vaginismus. So there are multiple reasons that are not associated with trauma, but could be medical or psychological that can make someone mistakenly think that they have a same-sex preference when in actuality, they do not.
There are additional medical and biological causes of same-sex preferences, such as females having very high levels of testosterone or even males as having very high levels of estrogen. If you look at, I don't know if you listened a few weeks ago, um, I don't know when I said it, but when you look at comparative psychology, you're comparing animal behavior and animal functioning with human behavior and trying to understand differences to help explain human behavior, but in a safer format by using it on animals versus human subjects. So when you look at comparative psychology, you castrate or cut the penises off of other male mammals, then what you'll see is they'll have bigger stomachs, they'll get more fat around the abdomen, and they'll have less testosterone, obviously. The same thing happens when you have human males, when they have either age or they have other type of erectile dysfunction, such as huge drops in their testosterone, they have less of an, of an ability to have an erection. And they also, because they have less testosterone, they will similarly, like with the other animals, they will then get a bigger belly that has more fat around them. And that's how we can see patterns of what happens physically, as well as sex drive. They will often decrease because of the low testosterone. But if you're younger and you don't associate having a low sexual desire or erectile dysfunction as a medical condition, and you're thinking that maybe it's just a sexual attraction issue, then that's another way of how medicine can help correct imbalances in hormones to then give you a correct understanding of your true sexuality. But that is one way that same-sex preferences can be created or maintain. And then lastly, there's also same-sex preferences that are more temporary, but they're created based off of your environment. So if you were ever in prison or in jail or in somewhere um, for a very long time with just members of your same sex, then like in prison, they might consider it quote unquote gay for the state. <laughs> so a shout out again to all of my 60 days in fellow fans. So that's a reference for that. But again, back to the point, as the level of sexual preference becomes higher or more specific, so will there be a higher level of non-normative sexual behaviors. For example, having a sexual preference for children, the elderly, or animals is a sexual preference that leads to the victimization of others. So other non-normative behaviors would also be victimization. And this victimization also occurs whenever your sexual preference does not include the consent of a physically and psychologically mature human. And even when there is no physical harm done to the victim, as in the case of voyeurism or exhibitionism, you are still making a victim because the other person is not consenting to your use of their body of you using their images for your own sexual gratification. When it comes to exhibitionism, then you're walking by exposing your genitalia or your breasts to a passerby or an unsuspecting audience. And so, and so although you're deriving sexual pleasure from that, you're forcing that sexual experience onto someone else. So whether it's voyeurism or exhibitionism, there is no physical harm that's caused to the victims, but it is still a victimization from a sexual preference that's forced onto someone versus the person keeping that to themselves. 
When you have a sexual preference associated with power, domination, and submission, the reason why we consider this sexual preference abnormal is because of the intense physical and psychological pain that's used to achieve sexual pleasure. And although the person is experiencing sexual pleasure, it's the underlying reason for why the sexual suffering is desired that makes it abnormal. And that's because the preference may be tied to a desire to punish yourself or to allow someone else to punish you or because you may have a desire to punish someone else. And those are because you may believe that you have been treated unfairly. You might have had your rights or your sense of self taken away from you. Or if you were desiring to be punished, it may be because you have a sense of not being worthy of being treated well or being treated good by a good person. Or you may feel as if you are not a good person yourself. If you look on the opposite end of that spectrum, You may not only feel that you are a good person, but you may have perfectionistic tendencies or perfectionistic personality traits. And because of this, then you may have a sexual preference to desire sexual suffering because of underlying guilt that you don't deserve any success that you may have had or because because of underlying insecurities that you struggle so hard to be perfect And this is your only way of feeling as if it's kind of leveling the balances for you. There are also psychological considerations when there is a dominant person in the submission relationships. Often that dominant person will have a psychological disorder, such as antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, or just narcissistic traits, or they may have a level of sexual sadistic traits or a disorder. But in any instance, is the preference for suffering or pain during sex, such as bondage, being whipped, being cut to the point of bleeding, hanging yourself, or being humiliated by the words that the dominant will use, or the acts that you are being made to perform, or by having the dominant person urinate or defecate on you. In all of these instances, it's the abnormal human behavior attached to the sexual preferences And that's what causes the long-term complications psychologically, sexually, and in the individual's personal and social relationships and sometimes complications in their workplace if it has become so controlling over them that they can't separate reality from their desires or will they become obsessed with having these sexual preferences of an intense nature. Um, I did mention hanging yourself. And so I wanted to just give you another nerd note about where that came from to figure out that that's sexually pleasing. So whenever they had like the Salem witch trials, they would often strip the persons accused of being a witch or a warlock and they would have them naked and they're hung. And the next morning, what they would see is either that the male had an erection, you know, his body going through um, rigor mortis, but there was also semen or sperm on the ground where there would be flowers that were growing after a while. And so what they attached it to was, okay, well then there must've been some type of demonic or witch activity where they were still experiencing sexual pleasure by hanging. And then people became interested in that, tried it for themselves to the point where hanging yourself or asphyxiation is associated with sexual pleasure or having someone choke you, or you trying to choke yourself to the point of, Um, 
or prior to having an orgasm or to intensify the orgasm. But getting back to the higher the sexual preferences are, the higher you will see other abnormal behavior. You will also see very intense levels of abnormality. For example, sex with animals such as horses, dogs, or octopus tentacles, sex with corpses, which is dead bodies, sex in pools of blood, electro wands, which is like little small pointer-like wands, and they use them on the non-dominant person to send shocks to the body, electric shocks as for some sort of arousal. Um, And we also are now seeing with the increase in AI or artificial intelligence, there is also an increase in robotism. And robotism is having a sexual preference for robots or cyborgs. And this sexual preference is enacted in reality by having sex with fully formed sex dolls or robots or by reading sexual novels about these sexual um, robots or cyborgs or by having a human partner who dresses up and acts like a robot during sex. So all of these are very specific sexual preferences and our goal is to show and give examples of when you're talking about pleasure and you're attaching that to sex, people then attach, well, because I like it and because it feels good, this is part of my sexual identity and this is part of my sexual preference. And with society pushing toward embracing everyone's sexual preference, these are the types of things that we are moving our society toward. These are the things that we are also allowing our society to grow into acceptance of more abnormal or more non-normative sexual behavior. But when we do this, we are mistaking sexual pleasure and what feels good to being socially good or to being psychologically good or even being physically good for us. When in actuality, it is more harmful than it is good. The orgasm may last for a few seconds. If it's intense, it may last for up to 15 seconds, unless you're having multi-orgasmic disorder. But in any case, it may last for a very short time compared to the aftermath of the person who is with the fetish or with the sexual preference or with the more extreme sexual preference, their own guilt or their own shame or their own discomfort with that or with the victims to which they force their sexual preference onto, like with pedophilia, like the corpses, which is dead people, so they don't have any say in it, like the animals who are not asking to be violated in this way, and obviously with children who are not able to understand nor desire sexuality. So by focusing on embracing all sexual preferences, we're opening our society to having more sexual trauma then we're having sexual pleasure. And whether the sexual pleasure comes from a fetish or a sexual preference, it's really important for us to consider that many of the persons who are celebrating sexual pleasures this month or during the month of June, they're often doing so from a place of hurt or confusion or a psychological or medical disorder. For example, gender dysphoria and then having sexual preference based off that psychological confusion of not recognizing or not having an awareness of who you are biologically. So imagine being so confused and feeling so disconnected from your own body that you're thinking that you're a different gender 
or you may desire to try to cut off your genitalia because you feel so uncomfortable. And that is psychological distress. That's why it's considered a psychological disorder that we can have the studies for to help treat, to help the person become comfortable with who they are and to embrace their biological selves and to live in a healthy format rather than mutilating themselves or committing suicide because they feel so uncomfortable. But again, whenever you have a whole month that's governmentally ordained and set aside for celebrating non-normative sexual behavior, all it does is it reinforces a person who is hurting to accept this way of solution that ignores the hurt or ignores the trauma or ignores the dysfunction and focuses only on the sexual pleasure rather than the pain that may have caused it or the confusion that may have caused. Now, the great thing is society has changed from shaming individuals with sexual abnormalities to celebrating them. So the good thing is we're not shaming them or putting them to death, but we're also now having the extreme of celebrating rather than giving them the appropriate love, care, and treatment. And so either extremes or both of these extremes are harmful, not only to the individuals, but also to our society as a whole. So instead, such sexual behaviors should be examined as to the cause as well as the effect of these sexual behaviors. And we should not encourage individuals to maintain sexual trauma by engaging in sexual behaviors that avoid addressing or healing from the sexual trauma that incurred. And likewise, we should not celebrate fetishes because often it's these fetishes that are gateways to deeper and more dangerous sexual behaviors. As I mentioned, things like voyeurism, pedophilia, rape, And it's also the primary basis and the highest demand for why there is a human trafficking market. So if this month, if you are pulled into discussions about sexuality or gender identity or sexual identity, then please remember our time today and use this information to educate your loved ones or anyone else who may be asking for your opinion about it. But when you do have these conversations, please do so using the science that we discussed today and also with love.
you 